Hi, friends. I'm Katie. And I'm Olivia. And we are Podcast by Proxy, Canadian True Crime. Welcome. We're live. 2.0, again. (laughs) (laughs) We tried this once, it didn't work, we're trying again, but we're here. You know, sometimes the first time is just a practice round. Yeah, it usually is these days. It's a warm-up. Somehow. Me, 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 me. (laughs) It's Tuesday. It's not Tuesday where we are, but it's Tuesday right now where you're listening, if you're listening when this episode went up. Um, But we do have two really exciting collaborations this week. Uh, So this week on Podcast by Proxy, you're also going to hear an episode swap with Crimeaholics. That is Kenzie and Holly. Um, We love them. So you will hear a full episode from them on our feed, as well as a promo swap with Strictly Stalking Podcast. Um, That is Jamie and Jake. And I have definitely talked about Strictly Stalking on this podcast before because it's one of my favorites. Yes, you have. Um, So really huge thank you to them for being willing to work with us and swap promos with us. I'm so excited about that. Um, so yeah, that's two shows that you're going to hear. Make sure that you give them both a follow on Instagram and wherever you listen to podcasts and tune into their show. <laughs> when you told me that you, they were swapping with us, her texts were crazy guys. They I were vouched for this. They were like, Oh my God, guess what? I love them. Ah! So she's serious. Um, All those kind words, she means them. Oh, I really do. I I told Brandon, actually, and he was like, oh, my God, really? Like, that's so cool. Because (laughs) I straight up, when I found their podcast, like, maybe six months ago, listened to it on repeat every day for at least three months. Like, I would have a shower and this podcast was playing. I binged. I more than binged it. Um, I love Strictly Stalking. So, yeah, I'm very jazzed about this promo swap. (laughs) If you can, brave of you. Stalker stories while you're in the shower can be tough. They just do such a good job. I know I've mentioned. I won't. I won't talk about it for too long. But they do such an incredible job of giving people a platform to tell their stories and educating about stalking and the lack of legislation and education for for police around stalking cases. They just do Mm -hmm. such a good job. It's such important work. yeah, we need to change this. We can't do anything until they touch you rule yeah. because that's bullshit. We could avoid so many crimes if more people took stalking seriously and yeah, 100%. red flags were taken into account more because how many stories do we hear that start out with some form of stalking before the crime? So you had a chance to intervene. Mm-hmm. We had a chance to get authorities involved. Well, and I think the biggest thing around stalking, and this is what I've learned from from the podcast, is that there is just, there's not enough education for uh, law enforcement in these kind of cases. There's not enough resources for them to actually do anything about it. So like we can, you know, we can blame them all we want because there are tons of cases where law enforcement does not respond in a serious way or the way they should. But in a lot of cases, there is also just nothing for them to do. There's no precedent there's no law set that allows them to do anything until somebody actually gets harmed Um, and that's like the biggest thing that I learned listening to strictly stalking so they are an excellent podcast 
Crimeaholics, also excellent. Um, they do a missing persons episode every Monday. I love Crimeaholics Missing Mondays. Um, <laughs> so I think that is going to be a missing I'm Monday. catching a vibe here. I think it is going to be a missing Monday episode that we swap with. But yeah, I have, if you can't tell, I'm very excited for both of these swaps this week. So thank you to both of them for being willing to work with us. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Uh, this week also we are actually talking about a case suggestion so thank you to listener Blair for suggesting this week's episode I was actually going through all of our case suggestions and I found this one from um, she suggested it last summer but when I started to research it it like got to the point where by the time I was done just looking into it I had basically researched a whole episode because I just fell down a rabbit hole um, <laughs> so that's what we are discussing today well you've fallen and you can't get up but at least we got today's episode out of it we did uh, before we start I just wanted to mention um, last episode we were talking about the artist that made us a sticker and I don't think we mentioned her Instagram name because I just didn't have it in front of me at the time but I'm going to uh, if you want to check out her page uh, it's artc underscore Liz I did post it the other day on Instagram after the episode went up but I just wanted to mention that before we started. Um, yeah. Um, I saw something. I don't know if it was a email or a comment. It just popped up on my phone before we were starting. And I honestly didn't want to open it in case it was a message. So I didn't want to look like I left someone on uh-huh. red. I think you're good. Do you know what I'm about to say? Was it the person who said they want to give us a five-star review, but they're tempted to give us a negative review so that we chirp it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah I laughed so hard I laughed so hard when I read that I wanted to reply and be like just let us know and we'll chirp it anyway I'll shout you out anyways if you want that um yeah we don't chirp them all but sometimes it's worth it sometimes they're warranted so you know what little of it column a little column b we're not perfect it is what it is we can only try also like I think it's healthy to vent a little bit yeah, of course. Also, and sometimes you just got to get it off your we're, chest. We're amongst friends here on this podcast. So, uh, but actually, no, we were we were chatting before we hit record. And sometimes we just could chat all day long and never record. So we were trying to get going. And then I said, I'll just I'll just tell this to you when I when we hit record before before we start. Um, I'll just tell everyone. Yeah, that. sure. I'll just tell the entire world. Why not? Um, no, it's just about the world is listening to us. The whole world. I mean, they could if they wanted to. They're probably not. I, I imagine that they're not, but if they if they wanted, they could. We appreciate a share, people. Yeah, no, it was just about, because obviously I'm gearing up to be in a few of my friends' weddings that are coming up. My brother's wedding is coming up. I'm in a whole bunch of weddings, and so I know what the colors of my dresses are, of course, because... I'm a bridesmaid. Duh. Um, and so for one wedding, I'm wearing black. And for two weddings, I'm wearing pink. And Brandon asked today, can we go suit shopping? I need a new suit for these weddings coming up. And I said, sure. And he said, yeah, I'm really thinking blue and brown. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just I'm just in the back of my head thinking, okay. Okay. You know what, though? A brown suit with a you in a pink dress could be really cute. And you in the black dress and him in the blue suit would be a good combination as well. I think he's talking like blue and brown as a whole ensemble. Then no. 
Yeah. The thing is that, like, he feels passionately about what he wants to wear. Do we need to call him in here? And I'm in the wedding party, so a lot of the time... You also are passionate about what he wears. But I'm I'm not because, like, we're not going to be sitting at the same table. Like, yeah, we need to get some photos together and stuff. But, like, do you know what I'm saying? We're going to be apart quite a bit. And if he really wants to wear blue and brown, like, I want to support his vision and what he's going to feel good in. So I'm like, whatever. You you do you. Is he thinking, like, tweed pants and, like, a navy blazer? When I tell you I have no idea, I just heard blue and brown and went, oh, boy. Uh, I don't know. I think I'm just going to start sending him pictures of suits and being like, this question mark? This question mark? I'm picturing like, I don't know if this is the vision, but I'm picturing like a blue, like a navy blue, like suit jacket, maybe pants, brown shoes, a brown shirt underneath, or mm-hmm. maybe like a, a brown jacket with blue pants. Oh no, white shirt, white shirt. Please do not let him get a colored shirt. Okay. Also, I'm very sorry for everyone's ears for my talk walking around. Maybe blue pants and a brown jacket. I don't know. I can't. I can't speak to this because I haven't got the details yet. Um, I just found this out today. I. I think if he does brown pants, blue jacket, brown shoes, brown belt. No. Mm. Yeah, brown belt, white shirt, no tie. It's great. I'm gonna have to re-listen to this because I have no idea what you just said. But that's okay because it's, it's on a recording. Uh, and I know this is riveting information for everyone else about what my boyfriend's going to wear as a wedding guest this year. But um, it's just, it is what it is. People's who br- people out there, though, whose brains work like mine, where I can, like, see a whole picture of something, heard that and was like, bang, I know that yeah. suit. I know that look. Anyway, I just want him to live his best life and, like, I don't care enough to say no, so... It's better to me than, like, black on black with white, which I just think makes you look like a waiter. Or an orca. Sure. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, black and white it's is the, classic. It's, it's timeless. W- I know that. Everyone's, like, yelling at me right now. I just think it's, like, you could you could do something else. Oh, I've looked at so many different suit combinations for the wedding that are not black. Yeah. Or navy or any of that because... I just think there's so many other, like, really cool yeah, like, options out there now. Beige is cool. is cool. I really like green. a green Oh, my suit. gosh. That's so funny. We said that at the same <sighs> time. I love a green suit. I've seen so many options, same. and I think it's excellent. Um, I think it's also because you like the Joker. True. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Do you also like a purple suit? <laughs> no. Green no. is preferred. Anyway, that was my really exciting topic uh, on the top of today's episode. That's it. That's all. That's all I've got. It's my dad's birthday today. Happy, happy birthday, happy birthday to your dad. That's awesome. I love that. I can't believe it's March. Uh, just you know, throwing that out there. I know. I cannot believe it's March of 2023. That's wild to me. Um, but we're actually yeah. heading all the way back to 1996 today. So we're both 90s bait. Like the great snowstorm? Or was that I almost just said we're both 90s babies. You weren't born in the 90s. I was. You were born in 1990, right? Okay. Yeah. So the very, very beginning. January of, of 1990, though. So I guess. I... It's actually really easy because my birthday and my birth year, because I'm on the zero, it's really easy for my grandparents to never forget my age because the end of the year is always the last digit of my like age. So as long as they know I'm in my 30s, they're good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, if there's nothing else, we will get right into our story today, which is 
wild cuckoo bananas and also it's kind of Canadian but also kind of American. We're like traveling south of the border Ooh. but we're still staying in that Canadian true crime realm if you will so it's like a little bit of both. I know. I think that's about everything although one fun fact. Just just I've one. Become weirdly, I've <laughs> become weirdly obsessed with those like applesauce in squeeze packs. Ew, really? They're freaking delicious. <laughs> there's something about the texture of that that I can't get past. No, there's an apple banana one, and oh, like, chef's don't kiss. you it's just feel delicious. like you're eating baby food? Nope, nope. nope. <laughs> She's like, just absolutely apple not. It's applesauce, which is just baby food. <laughs> no, it's not. It's pureed apple. It's fruit sauce. That's fair. I love that for you. Like, if you put, like, strawberry syrup or jam or anything, it's like, how is it I any I think different? if you find something that you like and you love it, Not just that I'm going to drink jam. Yeah, maybe don't do that. But I've been really into yogurt lately. And, like, I never really was a huge yogurt person. But now I just eat yogurt every day. Oh, my God. Yeah. Okay, I'll tell you my new favorite yogurt after. It's not important here. But. Deal. Comment is on it the episode Siggy's? if you want to know my favorite because yogurt. it's everyone's new favorite yogurt. Oh. No, <laughs> I keep hearing about the Siggy's brand. I bought one. I haven't tried it yet. Yeah, we carry it where I work. I'll report back on how it is. Okay, that's enough of yogurt. Uh-huh. But before we start, I do need to remind everybody to follow us on Instagram if you don't already at Podcast by Proxy. Uh, leave a five star rating or review on Spotify or Apple. It really helps the show so much if you do that. And share with a friend if if you like it that much. Share with your friends. Um, hopefully their sense of humor is, you know, I don't know where I was going with that. Anywho, Angel. Well, they're your friend. They probably have a similar sense of humor. (sighs) Maybe. On July 11th, 1996, construction workers arrived to check on an under-construction hotel at 7471 Crosswood Boulevard, located just outside Knoxville, Tennessee, off the Strawberry Pines Pike exit for Interstate 40. Whoa, that's a lot, a lot of, of stuff. Words. We're in Knoxville, Tennessee, yeah. though. That's We're in Texas. A We're Tennessee, not in sorry. Texas. <laughs> <laughs> Starting off really, really strong. Tennessee, Knoxville. Uh, when yes. these construction Knoxville. workers walked into the parking lot, they discovered the body of a partially nude male. The man was half naked from his pants down, He had his shirt open and his pants, shoes, and socks were lying near his body. One shoe was found under his head as if he was using it as a pillow. To make matters even worse, there was also a fanny pack unzipped beside the body full of five ounce gold bars, gold and platinum coins, jewelry, a set of keys, and a pair of sunglasses. There's no indication any of these items were touched. There was also a black duffel bag nearby that contained maps and various receipts. Uh, And scattered around the body was $4,000 in German, Canadian, and U.S. currency. Whoa, secret agent, man. And, like, kudos on the fanny pack. Yeah, so we've got, like, four grand in various different types of cash. We have a fanny pack unzipped. Full of gold and jewelry, um, and then a black duffel bag nearby that had, like, maps and travel receipts in it. Okay. The man's wallet was also found at the scene and identified him as 31-year-old Blair Adams from Surrey, British Columbia, Canada. 
Very close to work. Very close. I was going to say, very close to where we are on Vancouver Island, just across the ferry. Just a little boat toodle away. Boat toodle. Robert Dennis Blair Adams was born December 28th, 1964, but he was known to his family and friends as Blair. We don't know a ton about Blair's young life, but we do know that in 1996, he was 31 years old, working as a construction foreman in Surrey, B.C., loving his life and his job. When authorities... Okay, so he worked at a construction site in Surrey, but he was found in a construction site dead in... In Knoxville, Tennessee, Tennessee. yes. Correct. I know it's not Texas, don't worry, it just took me a minute. When authorities began retracing Blair's steps, they could not make sense of why he ended up in Knoxville, Tennessee. He didn't know anyone there. There was no indication that he made any plans to meet up with anybody there. Um, But they started to talk to his friends and family and find out that while Blair was like normally super happy, friendly, outgoing, loved his job, his behavior had really changed in the weeks leading up to his death. Oh, okay. So in the weeks prior to being found in Knoxville, his family and friends reported that they had started noticing really obvious changes in his behavior. Um, They noticed that he was really paranoid, prone to mood swings. Um, He had been sober for two years and stopped attending AA meetings. And his mom, Sandra, also said that he hadn't been sleeping very much at all. Okay. I mean, the not sleeping alone can do weird things to you. Nonetheless, everything else on that list. Yeah. Um, he also began leaving job sites unlocked, which was really, really unlike him. Again, he was like the foreman. He was good at his job. He liked it. He was de- like dependable, reliable. So he's like distracted. Yeah. He's like leaving job sites unlocked and his coworkers noticed so much of a change in him that they actually suggested he see a doctor. Wow. And that's a lot for men, especially like tradesmen. Yeah. In the 90s to be like, dude, something's wrong. 100%. I agree. Yeah. Kudos to them, though, for saying yes. something. Yeah. Like, his his behavior was off enough that everybody noticed, including, yeah, his tradesman dude co-workers, like Katie said, which... We're like, hey, bro, I think your mental health needs a check. Yeah, which is a little bit different in the 90s than, say, <clears throat> if you worked now at an office, for example. Yeah. yeah. I agree. Blair's journey to Tennessee began six days before he was found on Friday, July 5th, 1996. That day, Blair withdrew almost all of the money from his bank account in Surrey, B.C., totaling around $6,000 and emptied all the valuables from his safety deposit box into a fanny pack. So this included the gold bars, the gold and platinum, as well as all the jewelry. Yeah, the five-ounce bars was a weird thing to me Yeah, out of all of that. I know the international money is always odd, but now knowing it's from a safety deposit box, like maybe he traveled there and just had money left over, so he kept it. I was like, whatever. So our safety deposit box is still like a common thing. Because yeah. when I heard that, I was like, who has a safety deposit box? I think my aunt still has one with a bunch of jewelry in it. I love that for you. That you're fancy enough to have a safety deposit box. I don't have one. I'd like. I would like to know what that's like. What does it feel like to be sophisticated enough to have a safety deposit box? 
Blair had told his mom that something was bothering him and he decided to take an impromptu trip over to Courtney, B.C. on Vancouver Island to visit his uncle. So he takes all the money out of his bank account, he empties his safety deposit box, tells his mom he's going on an impromptu trip and heads over to the island. Um, His uncle wasn't expecting him though and when he arrived he wasn't home. So Blair then took a trip South Island where he attempted to enter the USA through the border by car with his Chevette. Now I'm wondering was this, was the ferry to Seattle ever a vehicle ferry? Okay, so that is what he was doing then is he was trying to take a vehicle ferry from Victoria to Seattle I was confused because the Victoria to Seattle ferry is now foot passenger only. So I was like, how would he drive from Victoria to Seattle? No, at one point it was. Okay. So that must have been it then. So he attempts (laughs) to get on a ferry um, at like the southern tip of Vancouver Island over to Seattle. Okay. This was on the morning of Sunday, July 7th. So this would have been two days after he took out all that money. He drives to Victoria, he tries to take the money out. Um, he was a single man traveling with a ton of cash, and so he was flagged as a potential drug trafficker. And U.S. immigrant, yeah, like he had all this gold, all this cash. He's just going to the States by himself. Probably doesn't have a good reason, if I could imagine, because they ask you, if, especially if they're suspicious about you, like, what are how, what are you doing here? What's your destination? Where are you going? I imagine he probably didn't have an excellent answer. Um, so U.S. immigration officials became even more suspicious of him when he told them he had no criminal history. But when they run his record, they discovered he had prior convictions for drug and assault offenses. Yeah, that's not nothing, no. buddy. So he's denied what? entry into the States and he returns back to Vancouver. Okay. Fair. We've seen border security. We know how we this know how it goes. They just send you right back home. No, you no, yeah. you may not pass go. Uh-uh. You get to go take the little U-turn yeah. route. The day after being denied entry into the USA on Monday, July 8th, Blair showed up at his job to quit and asked for his last paycheck. He told co-workers he didn't know if he could carry on there anymore. Um, and this was really weird because, like, a week earlier, he had been boasting about this job, how proud he was of it, and how much he liked it. And so to just show up and quit was like, again, just really out of character and odd behavior for him. Yeah, 100%. He also spent $1,600 on a round trip ticket to Frankfurt, Germany, that was supposed to leave the next day on Tuesday, July 9th. Just hours after purchasing the ticket to Germany, Blair was once again desperate to get through the USA border, showing up at one of his female friend's house in a panic, saying that someone was going to kill him. So he, like, buys this ticket, and then a couple hours later, he shows up at his friend's house and asks for a ride to the border, um, because he... Oh, I totally thought he was getting out of town, just because, like... He was like, I'm going to fulfill my bucket list. I don't have a job. I have no tie downs here. Let's just YOLO it. No, so now he's saying that somebody's going to kill him and somebody's after him. He's very paranoid. Um, He asks for a ride over the border because obviously he's been denied entry by himself at this point. So he wants somebody to take him. Um, But it was nighttime. His friend was not able to take him. So he went home. Okay. 
On the morning of Tuesday, July 9th, Blair packed all his bags and left his mother's house. That was the last time she would see him alive. Um, and it was common for Blair to travel, but the like the rest of this behavior was not. It wasn't common for him to remove all of the money from his bank account and all of the things from his safety deposit and box safety deposit just to go box. for a little travel. Yeah, the traveling is one thing, but you budget your trip and you take out that money or you use it accordingly. Yeah. You don't just drain everything and take it with you abroad. Yeah. That very same morning, so Tuesday, July 9th, Blair was discovered by the Canadian Border Patrol officers attempting to cross the border by foot at the Pacific Highway border crossing. So this is on the mainland to go into the U.S. That's the border security yes, one. Yes, that is the border security one, exactly. If you watch border <laughs> security and they're in Vancouver, they're probably at Pacific Highway border crossing. He had been spotted wandering near the border and was eventually picked up attempting to cross on foot. So he's trying to just, like, walk across. I picture him just, like, tiptoeing along it, just, like, like, hands behind his back. Like, he was seen near it. And he's like, I swear I'm not going over He's, like, wandering around and then tries to walk over and they're like, no, 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 no. Officials at that point noted that Blair had scratches covering his legs and hands and... At this point, they look at him and he matched the description of a man who had been implicated in a motor vehicle theft and the stolen blue car had been discovered abandoned at the same border crossing near where he tried to cross. So they, of course, detain him and take him in for questioning because they think that he stole this car. Um, but he denied his involvement in the car theft, and due to a lack of evidence against, against him, Blair was again let back to return to Canada. The fact that he's, like, a wanted criminal somewhat in the terms of, like, they have an eye on him because they know he might just boogie over the border. This stolen car shows up. He's super suspicious. It's like... You really couldn't come up with enough evidence? Nope. I know this is the 90s, but, like, come on, guys. Yeah, a friend also later told authorities that she saw Blair driving a blue car and not his usual Chevette the day before. Now, of course, Blair has not been confirmed to be the person who stole this blue car, and he was let go due to a lack of evidence, but I wonder if he potentially was trying to take the blue car over the border because the Chevette had already been denied. Like, I'm, I'm right. Because he was trying to get somebody else to take him. And now this whole blue car thing, like, it's possible that in his mind he just was, like, anything to get over the border. And if that means I have to, like, disguise myself just in different a different plate. car, then, yeah. you know, I'll steal the car kind of thing. It just seems like he wasn't in his yeah. right mind. So it's very possible. No, not at all. It sounds like really erratic behavior. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's let back into Canada and he canceled his ticket to Germany because remember he was supposed to fly out of Vancouver to Germany. He cancels this uh-huh. ticket and he cites the reason as the person that he was going to visit had gotten sick. Investigators looked into Blair's connection to Germany, like why he would be going there in the first place, um, and found mm-hmm. that he had previously worked on a project in Frankfurt for his stepdad's prefab construction company, um, SS Cedar Homes. 
he also dated a woman there. He met her at a party while he was like living and working there. And she later informed authorities that Blair had never contacted her about visiting. But she did tell them that Blair had been concerned about violence from former co-workers who had recently returned from Germany. But she wasn't expecting him still. Like she had she had no no indication that he was like gonna come and see her there or that he was like running away to Germany, but he had told her that like yeah. some guys were returning from Germany and he was worried about violence from them. But again, he was also really paranoid at this point. Yeah, you already said he was like freaking out, so so we're not really sure why, but this was something that was relayed to her, but again, like she wasn't expecting him to show up. Okay. After canceling his flight to Germany, Blair packed his Chevette and rented a Nissan Ultima at Vancouver International Airport and headed back to the border. So he cancels his flight there, he rents a car, he's driving back to the border, he's going to attempt to cross a third time. Hey guys, I'm Jamie Beebe. And I'm Jake Deptula. We're the hosts of the true crime podcast, Strictly Stalking. Brought to you from Podcast One. Each week, Strictly Stalking gives stalking survivors the platform to share their stories in their own words. Do you know why survivors refer to stalking as murder in slow motion? Have you ever felt like you were being hunted by a stranger? Would you know where to turn if a stalker was living in your house and you didn't know? We're bringing you these stories to raise awareness about stalking and give you the resources to know what to do if you or someone you know is being stalked. So tune in to Strictly Stalking each week as we dive into the largely unknown crime of stalking. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite true crime podcast. This time he was okay. able to slip through and ended up in Seattle, Washington, where he purchased... Third time's a charm. Yeah, he, he got through this time. So he purchased a one-way ticket from Seattle to Washington, D.C. for $770. Um, okay. This was strange in that he could have purchased a round-trip ticket from Seattle, Washington to Washington, D.C. for like half the price. Like, a round trip was, like, $350, $400. Even if you don't use the flight. But a one-way was seven seventy. So that was, like, struck investigators as odd. Especially because, like, yeah. why wouldn't you be planning on coming back? People who leave their trips open-ended sometimes book a return and they adjust it accordingly. For sure. They do. And maybe he thought, oh, I'll, I'll book a trip home to Vancouver later or yeah. something. Like, I won't fly but back to Seattle. I'll fly back home. But the fact that the round trip was, like, half the price of what he paid for a one-way ticket. Noted. And then also, why Washington, D.C.? Because as we find out next, his behavior only gets weirder oh, from God. there. We're not resolved at Washington. And we also have no clue why Washington, <laughs> unless it was just, like, that was the first ticket he could buy yeah maybe it was just first flight out of there it's possible so he leaves the nissan altima at the seattle airport he hops on the plane to washington dc and when he arrives in washington his behavior like i said only becomes more strange um so at the Dulles international airport in washington he runs a toyota camry at 6 45 a.m and proceeded to drive over seven hours to Knoxville, Tennessee. So this is on July the 10th, so the Wednesday. Yeah, that does seem like a long ways out of the way. 
Seven hours. He rents a car oh, in Washington, like D.C. and then drives a whole day to a different state. No. It doesn't make any sense. I know. It makes no sense. None. On the route to Knoxville, so like as he's driving from Washington, Washington D.C., that's hard to say, to Knoxville, Tennessee, on this route, he backed his car into another vehicle causing minor damage near Zion Crossroads in Troy, Virginia on U.S. Route 250. The driver of the other car told detectives that Blair seemed really nice but in a hurry. Hmm. He was quick to get moving. Like he didn't want to wait for the authorities to get there. Yeah, potentially. So once he finally arrives in Tennessee sometime on the evening of July 10th, Blair's first reported sighting was at a gas station at Strawberry Plains Pike at 5.30 p.m. Naturally, you've been driving all day. You gotta get gas. Yeah, so he gets gas and then... The gas attendant, or the the clerk at the gas station, calls an interstate repair service driver named Gerald Sapp and lets him know that Blair had told the clerk that he was having a hard time with his car key and he wasn't able to get in the car. Okay. So this technician is called to the gas station to help Blair because he's allegedly having car troubles. He can't get in the car after he's gotten out and done whatever he's needed to do. I don't even know if he got gas, if I'm being honest. Yeah, maybe peed, maybe got a snack, maybe he just got out of the car to stretch his legs. Right. Who knows? Who cares? I do a myriad of things at gas stations when I stop there after a long trip. So it could have been a number of things, but... Either way, he couldn't get back in the car, and so this technician, Gerald Sapp, arrives at the gas station, and as he's, like, attempting to figure out what's wrong, he realizes that Blair is trying to get into the Toyota rental with a Nissan key. Mm. So he's trying to get into his rental oh, with, like, his previous... not even paying attention. Well, and, like, he still has his previous rental car, obvious keys, obviously, yeah. right? Like, he didn't... He didn't return the rental and he just left his keys up. He had his keys plane. as well. Yeah, because he had a Nissan Altima before. Yeah. So he's trying to get in. He's sitting at the keys. airport. The technician told Blair, like, it's not possible for you to have driven this Toyota all the way here with a Nissan key. So, like, it has to be somewhere else. Maybe check your pockets. Let's check your fanny pack. Let's look around for this thing. And Blair refused to look for the key, saying there's no way he had another key and that he knew it was the right one and, like, would not look for the key. Okay. What a brat. So the tech... What? What a brat. Well, like, he's obviously just going through it. Like, something is not going right with him mentally in some way. Um. We're not sure what that is, but he's obviously having some form of mental distress mm-hmm. um, in this moment. And so the technician basically said he thought that Blair was, quote, nuts. And he just continued to refuse to look for it. So Gerald Sapp arranged to have the car towed to a local repair shop. And he dropped Blair off at the Fairfield Inn in Knoxville. So he's like, okay, fine. Yeah, I will you don't have wheels. Take the car. Go. We'll take you to the hotel. Like, you know, you can only argue with somebody for so long. And Sap said that he walked off without his bag. So Gerald without had to, like, bring pack? it into him. 
I don't know if it was maybe the duffel bag. He probably was wearing the fanny pack. I don't know. He had a few bags on him, right? He had the fanny pack. He had this duffel bag that had a map in it. He might have had a clothes bag for all we know. pack sack. But he walked off without his bag. And so Sap had to return it to him. And then he said, quote, the guy was not all there. He didn't appear to be messed up. He didn't appear to be on drugs. But his mind wasn't functioning correctly for some reason. End quote. Like he was really stressed by something, distracted. It sounds like. That's my take. Yeah, all I can really say is he was in a mental mental distress of some yeah. kind. He was experiencing a mental health crisis of some Breakdown kind. of sorts. Of some sort, yeah. yes. After leaving Gerald Sapp and being dropped off at the hotel, Blair is next seen on CCTV at the Fairfield where he entered and exited the hotel lobby five times over a period of 40 minutes before purchasing a room for $100. This reminded me so much of the Elisa Lamb story. I was just thinking that. Yes, just in terms of the strange like behavior. Like the in and out of the elevator. In and out of the elevator, or even when she just like walked into the hotel lobby and was exhibiting strange behavior. Just like and stood there for like three minutes or something. Yeah, now the the difference with the Elisa Lamb story is that she did have a diagnosed mental health illness Uh she was diagnosed um, we're not sure about we're not sure about Blair he has no formal or official mental health diagnosis so we had like a little bit more to go by I guess with the Elisa Lamb case in terms of like answering those questions not to say that it's equally not a sad tragic case I just think that there are more answers to why she was behaving so strangely because we yeah. already have that diagnosis and we know that she had been on medication at some point. We don't have that with Blair. We just know he was fine and then one day he wasn't. Yeah, that's... Okay. Yeah. No, I get what you're saying. Yeah. So, yeah, he enters and exits this hotel lobby five times over a period of 40 minutes and he finally purchases a room for $100 The clerk attempted to give him his change. However, Blair exited the lobby, um, walking outside at 7.37 p.m. It was later determined that he never entered the room that he purchased. Never went in that hotel room. He went up to the counter, he bought a room, and he left. Okay. The manager of the hotel said that when Blair arrived, she remembered him exhibiting odd behavior, um... Same as other people, he was described as paranoid, nervous, agitated. It seemed like he was expecting somebody to maybe, like, walk in on him, even though nobody was there. Um, Just displaying very paranoid behavior. Okay. It was the next morning that he was found in the hotel parking lot of that under-construction hotel. And how far is it from the hotel he's staying at? I don't think it's that far. So, like, he could have been out walking. But again, why was none of his stuff taken? That doesn't sound like a robbery. I'm going to tell you. She's going to tell us. Just doing some quick math over there. Okay. The distance between where Blair was staying and where he was found is a 1.6 kilometer walk or a 19 minute walk. So it's like a kilometer and a half. Okay. So 
not necessarily around the corner. It's definitely like a little bit of a walk. But if he was out and about, it's possible. It's not like it was hours away. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I just want to see hypothetically if he was out wandering around, paranoid, or someone could have attacked him or something. But then I remembered he had all his stuff with him. So it's like, I don't really, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's still possible. So when he was found... Blair was half naked with his pants off and his shirt open. His pants, shoes, and socks were lying near his body. One shoe was found under his head, and investigators surmised that he took it off as he was dying and used it as a pillow. Um, Because as we will find out, Blair's official cause of death was a rupture to the stomach, and he ended up dying of sepsis, like septic shock. Yes. The word rupture just kind of grosses me out. Is anyone else? Yeah. It's not great. So when they first found Blair, they thought that he might be, like, somebody who was transient, who just, like, laid down and died. But when they realized his body was laying with, like, $4,000 in various kinds of cash scattered around, and even that amount of gold was, like, way too much for a homeless person to have on them. So they kind of ruled that out immediately. Um, And those weren't just, like, items you steal. No. They're not items that you would you just have just on you. You steal five them. ounce gold no. bars from someone. I, I mean, not in a in an average scenario. No, maybe if you're James no, Bond. I don't know. That's why I said secret agent man when you listed all that stuff because that's what it sounds like to me. Exactly. Um, also found with Blair. Remember, I mentioned that there was a set of keys in the fanny pack. It was the Toyota keys, the ones to his rental car that he couldn't find. Those were found. He was freaking out over. Those were found in his fanny pack with the gold and everything. Um, And then, like I said, there was a duffel bag with maps and some travel receipts. So weird. So for the autopsy, According to investigators, Blair had been severely beaten and possibly run over. An (gasps) autopsy was conducted by the University of Tennessee Medical Center that determined the fatal blow ruptured his stomach, like I said, and his official cause of death was ruled sepsis stemming from an abdominal perforation. So his stomach ripped. Yeah, that does make sense. Like if you get hit by a car, it's like right at your midsection. Yeah, I think that's the idea. Um, The Knox County Sheriff's Department speculated that some of the wounds looked like they came from fending off an attack. He had a bunch of, like, cuts and abrasions and had defensive wounds to his hands and, like, tufts of hair ripped out of his head. Like, there was a struggle. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. One of his hands was cut so deep and blackened, like... It had been forcibly knocked to the pavement, but one of the investigators also kind of compared those similar wounds to, like, I hate to say this, but if you see somebody after, like, a motorcycle accident and their hands get, like, thrashed to the ground after they crash the bike. Road rash? Kind of, but, like, 25 times worse because it's so fast. But he said, like, that's almost what his hand looked like. Blair also had a wound to his forehead, and police determined it was caused by a crowbar or a club, Um, and it was believed that he was potentially sexually assaulted. 
However, there was no DNA evidence to support this. Yeah, so it might have been an object even. And I wasn't so even... then maybe think he was, like, hit by a car and then the people got out of the car and, like, attacked him? So the working theory, which I will get to, or, like, the most popular theory, I guess, if you will, amongst investigators is that some form of a sex crime or a sex act gone wrong Mm -hmm. the sexual act occurred in a car and potentially then a struggle ensued he's thrown out of the vehicle and then hit or run over as they drive away okay that's kind of their most their favorite working theory if you will they always have like a theory that they're more most viable time sure yeah um, and I'll and I'll kind of go into the reason why they believe that the the crime was sex motivated, not just because of the because basically he had injuries that indicated he was sexual sexually assaulted, but there was no DNA evidence, so they don't know if it was potentially a previous incident or not. And I wasn't even going to bring this up because I don't really think it's that important to the case. But Sandra Blair's mom did mention that he did have sexual history with a man so it wouldn't okay so it may or may not have been connected if he had recently maybe gone out with someone and had a night of sexual interaction yeah like it's whether it was consensual or not from this attack or a person 100 percent. it's just possible that 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 would have maybe been on his radar okay okay i think that's fair to take into account if a victim's mother's saying it yeah, and I also just think that, like, people will have questions about, like, he was sexually sexual assaulted right. and the injuries and what does that mean. And so, like, yeah, it could have been consensual. It could have not been consensual. Um, but we mm-hmm. do have that little bit of background information that, like, he has been with men. Yes. Yes. Okay. 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 So, like I said, because of this, all of this information put together, law enforcement initially suggested that uh, Blair's death was sex-related, uh, especially since he was found almost entirely nude. The only physical DNA, DNA evidence found at the scene was one strand of long hair that was gripped in Blair's hand, and it was never identified. Ooh, but that's telling, though. In the hand? Yes. Damn. Lieutenant Jim Jones was chief of detectives for the Knox County Sheriff's Department at the time Blair's body was discovered and said every aspect of the case was mysterious. He said, quote, every aspect, every aspect of this case is mysterious. There is no explanation. So mysterious. We have to say it twice. (laughs) Yeah, I don't, I guess I didn't proof that part when I was writing this. Uh, Then he, he said, there's no explanation for it. His pants were removed in a way, not like someone would pick their own pants off, but in a way that someone else would remove your pants for you. His socks were turned inside out. His shoes were off and his shirt was ripped open. Um, And then he also said it was the strangest case in his 38 year career. Hmm. Wow. That says something. Yeah. Authorities did test the some rebar from the construction site, but they never did find the, the murder weapon. They never located it. Or the gash in his forehead and stuff? Yes. Okay. Huh. I think it was an item. I think they hit him with the car first, got out, beat him with like a crowbar or something from the car, and then took it with them. More than likely, you're correct. That's my working theory. It makes the most sense. 
based on yeah, everything I think that flipping the actions around yeah mm-hmm. like almost as like a final blow yeah or like oh shit what did we do even mm-hmm. and getting out and again we don't know why but people think that the easier way out quote unquote or you know what would keep people quiet is oh i'll just kill them yeah it's not easier yeah, people also think that in, about instead of divorcing, so. Yeah. Can we stop being lazy? Murder's not the easy way out. It's just not. Stop thinking that it is. I mean, if it's a man getting divorced, though, he may want to just go somewhere where he's taken care of and has three meals a day still. <laughs> Fair. You know what I mean, though? I just feel like. A hundred percent. Like, I want to get a divorce. Oh, actually, just kidding. I'm just going to murder her instead or him. Just like, stop. Uh, That's not the way. It's not it. No. Toxicology also showed that at the time of his death, Blair had no drugs or alcohol in his system. So that was a question because, of course, we know he stopped attending AA meetings and things like that. Was he drinking? Was he taking any kind of drugs? Um, there was no drugs and no alcohol in his system at the time the toxicology was run. He had, like I said, not been officially diagnosed with any mental illness. Um, the only person who reported hearing anything out of the ordinary the night that Blair died was a security guard at a nearby business who told detectives he heard an abrupt scream at around 3.30 a.m. but believed it was a woman's voice. Okay, so like laughing loud or talking, or just that she high pitched maybe scream or yeah, okay, scream like a girl. I don't know. Believed it was a woman's voice. (laughs) Um, Authorities also believed that Blair must have eaten at some point after he left the hotel because he was found with lettuce, meat, and shrimp still in his stomach. Which is a weird combination of food, but I'm not here to judge. Maybe he had like. A chicken Caesar salad with prawns. Maybe. Not so weird anymore, is it? I guess not. (laughs) Because Blair was found nude from the waist down with injuries suggesting possible sexual assault, um, like I said, investigators favored theories that revolved around his sex act turned deadly. Part of the reason for this, and this is what I was going to say earlier when I said I'll kind of retouch on that in a minute, there was a truck stop like really close to the crime scene and near the hotel that Blair was going to stay at that served as a hub essentially for sex work at the time. It was a really popular. Not uncommon. Right. Yeah. Not uncommon. Um, but this pati- particular spot to this day. was yeah used for that. And so Jim Jones thought maybe Blair met someone over at the truck stop Um And then it kind of went bad from there, whether it was with a sex worker or with a pimp. Is there a better word for that now? Like I know because, of course, all through this research, it says prostitute. So I'm changing that to be oops, sex worker, because that's a really outdated term. We don't use it anymore. It's considered derogatory. Um, Is there a I don't think do we care? I think it's just someone's abuser, to be honest. Oh, I like that better. Yeah. So either a sex worker or their abuser. um, That's who they they think that it could be most of the suspects over the years were either sex workers or their abuser 
I like that term a lot better. I really don't like using the word pimp. I feel like it gives them power. and that glamorizes it. It's too. not what I'm here for. I'm not looking to act like that's a cool thing. So yeah, I prefer that term. Thank you. And actually, on that note, I just wanted to say thank you to the listener last week who messaged us to let us know about the term master bedroom and how it was originally used. It's like a slave term. And so a lot of podcasts and things moving forward now use the term main bedroom or primary bedroom. Um, I actually didn't know that. And I guess we must have used the term master bedroom when we were talking about the milkshake murder episode. So I did want to say thank you. I know I thanked you on Instagram. But um, thank you so much for letting us know. We always want to use up-to-date terms. And I genuinely did not know that. So No, me neither. I'll have to look into it a bit more. Yeah. It makes sense that when you say it yeah. out loud, master bedroom. Oh, totally. Uh, so David Davenport, who is a former Tennessee Bureau of Investigation agent and Jefferson County Sheriff, is now the chief of Knox County Sheriff's Office cold case unit. Um, he was at least in like 2017 when this research was out that I that I read. He oversees roughly 40 unsolved homicide cases, including that of Blair Adams, because Blair Adams' case has never been solved. Uh, Davenport believes the sex act could have been committed in a vehicle. So like I said, he believes when the struggle began, the killer might have hit Blair on the head, thrown him onto the road, and then struck him while driving away. He says the fatal blow to the stomach could have been caused by the vehicle's front bumper, and this theory would also explain his one black hand if it, like, caught the pavement when he was being thrown out of the vehicle. So my working theory, sex act, gone wrong. He gets out of the car to run, gets hit by the car. Yeah. Then the guy gets out, keeps beating him to attack him. So Jim Jones disagrees with all of the above theories and believes the fatal blow was a kick. I feel like you'd have to kick somebody really hard to rupture their stomach, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't know anything about science, so. I agree with you. I guess it's possible if they were wearing, like, steel toes. If you're wearing steel toe boots and you kicked somebody in the stomach, I could see it. I just don't think if you're wearing, like, your little Reeboks, I'm not sure. You'd have to be real strong and hit, like, the exact right spot. I have a really, uh, I have a pretty intense, like, family murder that has to do with steel toe boots that I'll tell you one day. Oh, okay. So the operating theory continues to be that Blair was killed by somebody in the sex work industry, um, there were two reported sightings of Blair before his death that were ruled out by KSCO Detective Perry Moyers, who worked on the case. Three employees at the TNR truck stop on Deep Springs Road in Dandridge claimed they saw Blair there between 9.30 and 10.30 p.m. Um, They saw him flipping through tattoo magazines and talking to an unidentified man about about Canadian money. This was determined by Moyers not to be Blair, There was another sighting. Um, Two women at the Cracker Barrel on Strawberry Plains Pike told detectives they saw Blair with another man who was never identified. Um, Their stories differed on what the man looked like. 
This too was determined unlikely to be Blair. However, a composite sketch was released of that man, like the man that the two women claimed to have seen him speaking to outside of the Cracker Barrel restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, so they did release a composite sketch of that man. And in a 2010 interview with local law enforcement, it was revealed that the Knoxville Police Department had never had a credible tip in the death of Blair Adams. Not Holy shit. one credible tip ever. Holy shit. Okay. Today, the spot where Blair was found stands a travel lodge, and anybody with information on this case is encouraged to call KCSO's cold case unit at 865-215-2675 or email coldcase at knoxsheriff.org. And that is the unsolved murder of Blair Adams. Super crazy. I had never heard of that. Super wild. I there's so many parts of this case that are so unanswered and like how how did this happen? I have no idea. A really interesting piece that I did research, I just didn't know where to fit it in to the main story. Um been there. Blair's mom, Sandra, later told news outlets that Blair was actually traveling to the South to attend the 1996 Summer Olympic Games in Atlanta, Georgia. This was not information that was ever relayed to authorities. There is no actual evidence like of anything on his person that suggested that he was going to Georgia or going to the Olympics. Um... Sandra, when you tell a couple people, right? And yeah, Sandra, like she was asked, Well, how do you know that that was his destination? Like, why did he end up in Knoxville then? And she never really told them, she just simply said that was that was the whole point of his trip and hung up the phone. Um, other calls after that by media to Sandra were answered by her husband who got pretty mad on the phone and basically said that like, there's no chance this case is ever going to be solved and said, quote, we're not going to open up that can of worms again. That was in 2017. And I almost wonder if maybe this case was so, so hard on Sandra that maybe she has tried to rationalize a reason why he went there over all of these years. Um, I don't know. I'm not going to say that what she's saying isn't true or anything like that. She never told authorities when it first happened. This came out like a lot later. It just seems like maybe maybe this has been really hard on her and she's trying to rationalize it yeah. a certain way. And with her husband, you know what I mean? Like her husband getting angry and saying like, we're not going to open up that can of worms again seems like defensive to me. Like protecting her and saying like we're not doing that again um that's just my theory but i don't know i agree the 1996 summer olympics they began on july 19th so that was eight days after blair adams yeah it was yeah eight days after he was found and knox county is over 200 miles away from atlanta georgia so like it just doesn't really make sense but no not at all Yeah, that is the unsolved murder of Blair Adams. Again, so if you know anything about this case, he was from Surrey, B.C. He did know people. If you know anything at all about, like, why he was acting strange, if you've heard stories over the year, anything like that, 
call the Knox County um, Sheriff's Office cold case unit at 865-215-2675 or email coldcase at knoxsheriff.org. Thank you everyone so much for being here. If you don't already, please give us a follow on Instagram at Podcast by Proxy. It would mean so much to us. It's really the, the platform that we're on the most. Um, and yeah, that five-star rating and review on Apple or Spotify is always appreciated. But thank you for being here and we love you and we'll see you next thank week. You. Bye. Bye.